Welcome to the Penny and Pops podcast. He's Spencer Penny Strode. I'm Adam Pops Papa Giorgio. The Magic made it into April, still competing for the plan. This time last week, we were still alive in the plan chase, which is outstanding from a player growth perspective, considering we're one of the youngest teams in the league. The Magic did fall short of the play-in, but we didn't tank until the final three games, which displays a bright future ahead for us. And we finished our 34th NBA season, 34-48. and 48. That's a 12-game improvement from last season. And guess what? The tankers end up fairly happy anyway. Less than a week of tanking saw us claim 13th in the East again and owning sole possession of the six best odds for May's NBA Draft Lottery. That's a 9% chance at the number one pick and 37.2% chance that we'll jump into the top four. Penny and I are also going to look back and review our season predictions. Let's go. Hardaway, straight down the lane, the power jam. Point guard on the 7 6 guy. Here's Lewis turning and he shoots. Yes! Here's Turkaloo for the win. All right. Happy Easter to those celebrating. Uh, My Greek Orthodox Easter is next week, so today was my Palm Sunday, and we are recording this Sunday, April 9th, 2023. The Magic just concluded their 34th NBA season in Miami this afternoon. We lost. Uh, It was our fourth straight defeat, but that's because we were tanking three of those games. And so it's our first 34-win season in franchise history, which is 12 wins more than last season. Uh, in our last episode, the Magic were still in the playing hunt. We then played at Memphis March 28th. Uh, no John Morant. He sat out. Didn't matter because Memphis is deep and just, just elite at protecting home court. Luke Kennard torched us off the bench, so that trade with the Clippers ended up being pretty good for them for that, that game at least. The Magic, they fought late in that game, but just they could not hit timely threes. It's it's crazy how close we made it at the end. And we were, I mean, we're down three in the final seconds. Franz had a 16 point fourth quarter. We won the second, third and fourth quarters of that game, but just had that massive first quarter deficit we, we, that we couldn't overcome. Then we were in DC. Nice to see Josh Robbins get a lot of a shout out, uh, both from the magic pod community and just the magic media as a whole. Um, Penny, did you know, Josh Robbins has his own podcast. Uh, I I mean, not really. I thought he was getting it off the ground with the through the athletic. Yeah, um, yeah. I have not listened to to any of it. Yeah, I haven't listened to one. I subscribed, but I haven't gotten a new episode. So I don't know if he was just waiting for the season then before he put one out. Um, I mean, the Wizards were tanking as hard, if not harder, than us, but they didn't tank enough because they they uh, they won a game. Over the past two days, that they uh, they probably would have preferred to lose, uh, and because of that, well, we'll get into it later. But because of that, we uh, we finished below them or uh, above them from a lottery perspective. But anyway, for that game in DC against the Wizards, you know, we sat or the Wizards sat Porzingis, Kuzma, and Bradley Beal in a clear tank move for them. 
we still got off to a terrible start in a game that we had to win. Um, Colts, thank God, dragged us back to have us only down three points at halftime. Corey Kispert torched us. The Wizards, they started that second half on a 13-0 run. I mean, the difference in this game is threes, um, but unlike that bad loss to the Spurs in San Antonio, uh, you know, we fought hard all all game, didn't give in. And fourth quarter, Franz was big again. You know, the Wizards, they started running out of gas due to lack of bodies made available for West Unsell Jr.'s team. Cole Anthony hit a three that gave us our first lead since 2-0 at 105-103 with 5.45 to go in that game. Magic defense was huge down the stretch. Like the Wizards basically scored two points for a six-minute stretch in that fourth. Paolo had a monstrous game, 30 points, 12 boards, six assists, three blocks, and we won. And then April 2nd, a week ago, we were home against the Pistons. The Magic still alive in the play-in, even though the Bulls refused to lose because Patrick Beverly has been a godsend for them, even though statistically it doesn't look like much. He's he's turned it or helped them turn it around then. Zach Levine playing out of his mind for the most part. Um, this was RJ Hampton's return. He's had some nice games for the Pistons, including like a 27-point game recently. But uh, thankfully, he didn't torch the magic on this night. That was like a weird game overall. Like the refs had problems. There were clock issues, just a lot of delays. I mean, that game took forever, right, Penny? Like that thing, like it, it thankfully picked up in the second half because Detroit wasn't competing. But that that game took forever for that first half. That's the one of those ones where you're like, uh, if you go and you have work the next day, you're like checking the watch in the fourth quarter going, what time am I actually going to get home? Yeah, that one was was rough, Um, but we won that game. You know, I don't understand how some Magic fans can't love Markel Fultz like he had two ridiculous chase down blocks in the third period of the game. He's even like dribble stepping into threes now and he had another absurd dunk. He's had like an absurd dunk every game for the past like two and a half months, it feels like. He's not just healthy now, but he's noticeably stronger and he just continues to elevate even higher when he takes off. Jay Scrub uh, made his magic debut in this game. Michael Carter Williams finally checked into a game this season. Um, and then, you know, we would use Scrub and Michael Carter Williams and. You know, Kevon Harris and Schofield and Goga a lot when when it came time to tank, but it wasn't that time at this point. We were just up a lot because this was a 26-point win, which was the Magic's largest of the season. Uh, and depending on Cade Cunningham's health going forward, like Detroit and Orlando are going to be kind of these two younger teams, at least going to next season anyway, these two younger teams that absolutely will continue to hate each other and could be hating each other for a while. So, um Bring it on, because we've got a lot of uh, revenge to make up for the mid-2000s. Um, we again had eight players in double figures for this Detroit game. That's been a nice little trend over the past month or so, just evenly balanced scoring here and there. And then with that magic win, we hit 34 and 44, and at that point we had jumped over Indiana in the standings, and we were tied for 11th in the East with Washington. And then we lost the last four games, You know, the final three games being on purpose because – Last Tuesday, we lost at home to the Cavs in the first of our two home games with Cleveland, uh, which officially eliminated us from the postseason. We were the last team in the East that was not in the playoffs or play-in picture to be officially eliminated from postseason contention. And, you know, because Cleveland still could catch Philly technically for third, the Cavs didn't rest folks for this game. 
um, and that the magic made it into the final week of the season still alive is, is awesome for us. I mean, I mean, I don't know, Penny, if you want to reiterate, but I mean, we were five and 20 and to make it literally into the first week of April still alive is nobody expected that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that we've talked about time and again is the playing meaningful games and being able to play this year, what ended up being 79 meaningful basketball games is uh, refreshing for, for the fans, but I think also monumental for the, you know, the growth and development of the entire roster, pretty much top to bottom. Couldn't say better than that, man. So the Magic did start that first Cavs game well, and uh, I think our bench is better than Cleveland's. I know the Cavs are, and we'll talk about a little bit, kind of our NBA outlook um, towards the end of the pod, but Penny, would you agree that our bench is better than Cleveland's? Uh I yeah, I I, I would agree. Um also having sat through the second Cleveland game, that was pretty rough. But yeah, on, on the whole, <laughs> I would agree. Uh Foltz in this Cavs first Cavs game had another absurd dunk, this time going way up for a window Carter Jr. baseline alley oop pass that Foltz had no right catching. He was that high. It was just absurd. I think Foltz had two top 10 plays on SportsCenter. One was the block. One was this dunk. Um, And it was not bad being up 59-58 at the break on that against that good of a Cleveland defense. I know they didn't have Okoro, but still, like, they've got Mobley and Jared Allen and Mitchell and Garland are pretty good defenders. And it's, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty good. Um, And then Donovan Mitchell took over started taking over in the third, like the magic were only down two points entering the fourth. They had, you know, we had a conf- we have a confident Goga Bataze doing good Goga Bataze things. He, he had this absurd ball fake that juked Karis Levert and Evan Mobley simultaneously leading to an open driving dunk, which that was, I, that shocked me. Um, and then we had that stretch in the fourth where we, uh, we missed three, three point attempts that, would have put us ahead. Then Jamal Mosley refused to take out Cole and Goga, and I thought it cost us uh, for those few minutes. And then Mitchell hit another three, and then Jared Allen had just this hell of a block on Fultz to fully swing momentum Cleveland's way. Mosley had all the starters in, uh, except Suggs was in for Gary. And Magic went on an insane high-energy run, which was fueled by Wendell and Fultz that put us ahead 109-108 with 340 to go. And all right, Penny, did you think we were going to win at that point? Because I did like, I'm usually pretty like even keeled and calm when it comes to that. But like that momentum swing was crazy. And I I didn't think Donovan Mitchell had another gear, even though I definitely know he has another gear, but I I thought we were going to pull that out. Yeah. I mean, I think the two things that made you feel confident, which were Mosley actually went back to the starters at a decent time in the fourth quarter and then that big run to put us in the lead. Uh, obviously, you're wary of Donovan Mitchell knowing what he's done this year and, and specifically taking games over in the fourth quarter. Um, but certainly you felt like everything was was coming up magic at that point. Um, and also the story of the season, like to, to make it to the next game, at least the final home game, um, and still be in the play. And it, it felt like everything, like the narrative fit to to finish that one out with a win. I was surprised that it started to then slip away again. 
Yeah, I mean, Paolo, Fultz, and Franz each missed good or open looks that they normally would hit. Um, but, I mean, we've got, in those three alone, a 20, a 21, and a 24-year-old just learning and growing in regards to these big moments. And just stepping back, and we really, just as a fa Magic fan base, just need to keep that in mind and preach some patience and just let these guys learn and make mistakes because they're freaking young. And they're in even Markel's case, he's a former number one pick that we're still – rehabilitating and I'm rehabilitating. He's getting better than maybe at any point in his life now at this point in certain moments, like the three point shots, not there, but everything else is just ratcheting up. I mean, even including the three point shot, but um, just learning from those mistakes, you know, but then Mitchell, he had a tough jumper over Suggs to put Cleveland up 113, 109 with two minutes left. Mitchell hit another big jumper over Suggs to get him over 40 points and put us down six. Suggs was playing great defense, I, and credit to Mitchell for being who he is. Um, Suggs then did come back, and he come up, came up a few times, just some insane defensive plays that kept us in the game. We played well, but you can't miss good shots and expect to beat good teams. It's a sad bit of poetry that the guy wanted to trade for in the summer. Mitchell has Cleveland both looking awesome, and then they officially buried our playing chances. But – we went out with three games remaining, you know, heads high, and just we went out swinging. Um, any other thoughts on that Cleveland game, on that first Cleveland game, I guess? Um, I mean, it was just a really entertaining game overall. Yeah, which great again, freaking game. Yeah, nice to nice to those that were fortunate to be in the building. Uh, that's a, a more positive taste to leave with than anyone that went to the final home game. Um, and again, I think it just speaks to the the character of the team for ninety nine percent of the season, which was the um, the growth and also the fight, which is nice to see. And then, yeah, that second Cavs game, final home game for us, game number 80. Cleveland rested everyone because they were locked into the fourth seed. Magic, for the tank's sake, sat Paolo, Franz, Wendell, Fultz, and Gary. It was a pretty shitty showing from a fan appreciation night perspective, but from a tank perspective, it, it made sense, I guess. And, I mean, most of these guys had played – over 60 games, over 70 games. I think Franz ended up playing like 80 this season. And, you know, it was a chance for the Magic to finish 21 and 20 at home this season, which would have been the first time over 500 at home since our last playoff appearance in 1920. But that didn't play out. Can we talk about Robin Lopez, uh, not just starting for Cleveland, but he had this big mustache and beard, and <laughs> it didn't look real. Um, the Magic for the game, they started Mo, Bull, Chuma, Houston and Suggs and then Michael Carter Williams even got first quarter uh, burn along with scrub. Um, I don't know. what do you think to, of Rolo's look? Well, first of all, I, yeah, let's address that. I, I, I was unfortunate enough to be in the building for the fan appreciation night um, and in the club level. So, you know, not promenade, not terrace, like right in the middle, you could see the distinct difference in color and volume <laughs> for facial hair versus uh, top of head hair. It was, it was cartoonish and fun and exactly what you would expect for a Robin Lopez look. But there's one thing I, I want to address lovingly about <laughs> fan appreciation night, and yeah. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Um, let's, let's say that you are a, uh, magic season ticket holder. Um, you get selected for the fan appreciation night, uh, magic player Jersey, um, where you're paired up with a player to receive their Jersey, a very exciting time. 
Then you get the news that you've been paired with Jay Scrub. How do you feel? I'm still happy, man, because it's okay. authentic and it's autographed. Right. It's an NBA. It's an authentic NBA jersey. Um, it's funny. Jeff Turner on the broadcast made the point how back in the day when he was playing, they would actually give the fans the jerseys they actually wore that night. So there'd be after, like sweat yeah, they and used stuff. to do it after the game. Now yeah. it's before the game, which is weird too, because then it's kind of like one of those deals where um once the warm-up is over you're still not starting the game for like 15 minutes because they got to get through every player on the roster now 17 and then i saw so they showed like a few of the of the photo ops i guess where the fan you know the fan meetups meets up with the player for the giveaway and like a couple of the fans looked like snobbish assholes that just did not care and i i'm like at that point i would have I wish there was like a hook in there where you can pull them out and be like, you're out, dude. Fuck off. There, there, well, there's an Thanks for being a season th- ticket holder, but yeah. clearly, <laughs> clearly this isn't what we're going for here. Also for previous years, I would say uh, what the, the first part of the two thousands, maybe for a time it was a season ticket holder, got like a home Jersey and then a community organization got an away jersey so then they had like they doubled down for each which that was a nice thing too well and it's like it's almost like more there was more pageantry to it because you get like a cheerleader in there i think you had like they had more like on-court staffer so you actually had like an on-court staffer like holding everything too and like i don't know it looked like a bigger deal so one way or another you're going to be happy (laughs) about something as a um, fan, I would rather get the sweaty post-game jersey for the player. It's probably better that they don't have a post-game obligation. I will also say, if we're talking about fan appreciation night, very solid job by Paolo Bencaro on the pre-game uh, arena crowd address. Yeah, it was. That's a pretty calm guy. And I mean, look, he's been doing a lot of podcasts lately, which is good because, like, he did like Rosillo, he did the Knuckleheads, he did. Oh gosh. Which one did he did recently? Uh, he did like another one that I forgot. He, he's been doing a couple of these, and look, he he's kid's got a personality. He's got it toned down and like really professional at like a Michael Jordan level, which I'm more than fine with. But like, it's the the, the kid is going to be really good in this league, and he doesn't seem like an asshole, which helps. And you know, pretty. He was pretty good in that in that uh, fan appreciation night kind of speech. It was fairly simple, but it was very genuine. And yeah, he did a good job. Um, and then with that Cavs game, you know, we started well. Then Danny Green torched us, and then we kind of withered away in the second half because we just didn't. We just <laughs> we just had like our third stringers out there forever. Um, and then Friday, so two nights ago in Brooklyn, second night of a back to back game, eighty one for us. Holtz, Franz, and Cole were back playing in this one. No Paolo or Wendell. No Mo either, who rolled his ankle the, that la- the last game, that second game with Cleveland. So why not help out Jacques Vaughn and Igor Kokoshkov, uh, clinch sixth for Brooklyn and do Miami to the play-in? So we ended up losing that game. Um, I don't know. What's the? It, it's crazy because obviously – you know, we covered the team and I definitely covered like the team a ton during the Jacques Vaughn era and Igor Kokoshkov time. And like, it's just a stark difference. If you took like a screenshot of them from like 2013 to 10 years later now, where Jacques got this huge, like beard, a lot of gray in it. 
And then Igor's got like a weird, like silver haired surfer type of style going on. Very long hair. I don't know what's going on there, but um, they've done a heck of a job in Brooklyn. They're not even in the play in. They got the sixth seed and they could get feisty against Philadelphia in, in this, in their first round playoff matchup. But um, yeah, I don't know any thoughts about that. I mean, you feel bad for what they've been through, but also there's a, I think there's a, a testament to kind of how much, let's say Jock Vaughn has improved as a, as a coach yeah. um, over the last decade plus so to survive all those trials and tribulations and, and even this year, coaching two distinctly, three, almost basically distinctly, three, yeah, yeah, different rosters has been pretty impressive. Yeah, I think if Sacramento didn't have as great of a season as they did, I actually think Jacques Vaughn would end up being coach of the year. I know he hasn't had much talk. Like people were talking about, like Mark Dagnall and OKC and um, Utah a little bit, but Utah tanked. So, and I mean, OKC's barely sneaking into the play-in. They probably won't be a playoff team. I, I thought Jacques, I think Jacques Vaughn should finish runner-up to Mike Brown in Coach of the Year. I don't know if you agree or disagree if you had something else in mind. Yeah, I wouldn't fight you on that. And then today, Sunday, uh, 1 p.m. tip in Miami. It's always an interesting time for a game because usually one team looks more ready than the other. I mean, the Magic's case, the Magic went from playing Friday night in Brooklyn. So they had two two weekend nights in Miami that Friday night and Saturday night in Miami. So I'm sure a couple of those guys had fun. Um, but the magic actually looked better out of the gate in this game. Uh, Miami had nothing to play for either though. They were uh, locked into the seventh seed. Miami is the Southeast division winner. It might be the last significant thing they win in a while. Um, we needed the loss more than from a tanking perspective, obviously, but we hate Miami. We're rivals, and we should always want to kick their ass. And this game was a chance to even the season series two to two. It looked like we actually might have wanted to win this game. We started Wendell, Franz, Houston, Suggs, and Fultz, which meant uh, Paolo, Gary, Moe, and Cole sat. But we preserved Paolo's 20-point-per-game average for his rookie season. Uh, the Heat being locked into seventh. And having to play Atlanta in two days in their seven versus eight playing matchup against Jim again, uh, uh, yeah, in the playing matchup. I mean, it, it meant Jimmy Butler was rested. But basically, every other Heat player played. So they were definitely trying to win this game because Udonis Haslam is finally retiring after 20 years. And really, he, he hasn't done much the last five um, at 42 years old. He was basically an assistant coach for the last five years who would occasionally play here and there. Um, but he played his last game. Mosley gave him a big embrace, like the first time Haslam checked in, as well as after the game. And he even, you know, Haslam hit two threes in the game, which I think he has now eight career made made threes in his life, in his NBA <laughs> life, and two of them came in this game. He torched us for 13 points in the first quarter alone, because of course, um, he ended up having 24 points in the game. The Heat ditched their FTX crypto arena name. And I think it, for a little bit, it was like Dade County Arena. I think it was. But now they're called the Kaseya Center. Do you know what Kaseya is, Spencer? I do not. It's a global software company, which is headquartered here in Orange County. So they're an Orange County, Florida headquartered company who are now the Heat's arena sponsor. So I'm not a big fan of that. Um 
Miami were wearing their throwbacks. I don't know. What do you think of the th- their throwbacks? They they were not good then, and they're still not good now. Is my viewpoint. <laughs> um, they certainly I per I prefer uh, the Vice uniforms. If I yeah, have to I, watch like, Miami I have Vice. yeah, we have to begrudgingly admit like they're the first what two years of the Miami Vice jerseys were yeah. fucking good. But they went away from them, and now they had this year. They had the stupid ransom jerseys, which look ridiculous. And I hope, uh, I hope they make no money off of those. But um, we saw a lot of Victor Oladipo in this game, at least from a Magic perspective, because it has them lit us up for twenty four points. At least from a Magic perspective, Kevon Harris and Caleb Houston dropped career highs of twenty two and twenty one points each. The Magic sat everyone early in the second half to preserve the tank, but we still led by one entering the fourth. I don't know, Penny. Did you think we were going to win this game? Because I, I, I think even early in the fourth, I was like, "Fuck, we might win this game." And yeah, I, I would have been I, all right with it. Because again, fuck Miami. No, but um, I, I hoped. I, I mean, sadly, but I hope that we didn't. Uh, Caleb easily could have had twenty-five plus. There were a couple little uh, bunny layups that he blew. So it's. It, I think it was a fair end to the season. There was some individual success that you could celebrate in terms of career highs, uh, as you mentioned. Um, we we got the entirety of the bowl bowl experience, <laughs> but yeah. potentially for the last time. Um, I there was a they had talked about on the broadcast. Victor Oladipo uh, obviously, you know, played a good game today, and that he played over what two hundred something games for the Magic. And it, it got me thinking, there's quite a few players now um, that have played for both the Heat and the Magic yeah. in their in their careers. Um, I believe, according to our friend Jay Stone um, and Magic player history, that Jay Scrub was player 280 all time to actually suit up for the Magic. 280? Um, oh, for the Magic. Oh, I thought you were going to say for, both the Heat and the oh, Magic. No, like, for what? the Magic. Yeah. And in, and we were talking about, I think, the only player that has played 200-plus games for both the Magic and the Heat is Shaquille O'Neal, which is kind of interesting to me. And I, I did a quick Google, and this is not scientific, but if you had to guess, how many players have played for both the Magic and the Heat in their careers at least one game? Oh my, man, my source is Wikipedia, so it may not be accurate. And we can, there's plenty of time in the offseason to delve into this further. But if you had to guess, I'm going to guess 21. Like, I'm because I mean, there's like, there's some low totem pole ones. Like, I'm thinking of like Deadman and Penny snuck in a few. Exactly. I'm thinking yeah. 21. Maybe that's too low. What do you, what'd you find out? So I, I actually was thinking a little higher because, uh, and I, I thought like 35, because you, to your point now, there's a lot of like one game here, one game there type people. Um, the answer, according to, again, Wikipedia, which I, I don't know for sure, is 28, uh, which would be 10% of all Magic players have played a game for the Heat, which to me was very interesting. All right. I was pretty close. Um, oh, you know, so... Because you would you 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 asked me this earlier, and I threw out some names about guys who were close, and how yeah. Brian Shaw was close. Um, Mike Miller wasn't terribly far off either. Um, but oh, I mean, who were the closest call. ones? Did I was it Doliak and Shaw would have been the closest ones? Yeah, I think Shaw would have been the the next closest because he was off by like seven games with the Heat, right, or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, but 
Yeah, 28 sounds pretty fair, honestly. Like it's, you know, I would have been shocked if it was as high as 35, but um yeah, 28's pretty fair, but yeah, I mean, look, for a long long time back when like Pat Williams was in charge, like this was you could literally count on like one hand how much uh crossover between the exactly. magic and heat yeah. there were cuz the way it should be. Yeah, the way it should be, but um you know what? Like I said this is going to be the last time that he win the Southeast division for the, a long time is my viewpoint and watch me be wrong. And they'll win it again next year. But um, that's my prediction is the heat. This is the last Southeast division title. They're going to win in a long time. And ideally the magic will be the ones winning a bunch of these. And I know division titles technically don't mean much. I mean, they help with certain tiebreakers, but it's not like it was like a decade ago when, like you'd be guaranteed like a top four seed or something like you don't get that <laughs> every, every division winner in the other five divisions, I think finished in the top three seeding wise of their conferences, except the Southeast division where the heat are down in seventh and then the plan <laughs> where it's feasibly, well, actually it wouldn't be feasibly possible because if Atlanta could beat them and get in, but um, we could be in a situation where there's only one Southeast division team in the playoffs and it's interesting. We'll see. It's an opportunity for the Magic to at least take over that 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 division. But um, Haslam scoring twenty four, I thought was a bad look for guys like Goga and Schofield. And we're not going to talk roster stuff this pod. We'll save it for the next one when we'll really go through like how how we thought guys did this season. I mean, the, you know, it's interesting that Haslam torched both Goga and Schofield. Both easily may not be back next year. Um, my favorite part of this game was, I don't know if you caught it. Um, I don't blame you if you change the channel and watch something else. But my favorite part of this was uh, Udonis Haslam checked out of the game with like 58 seconds to go. Yeah. And the Magic players are standing on the bench. And like, I think Mo Wagner is the only one clapping for him. And Gary Harris literally tells him to stop clapping, which I'm a big <laughs> fan of. And for that reason alone, I don't want Gary Harris going anywhere. And I already had my reasons for Gary to not for me to not want Gary to go anywhere. But I was a big fan of that. I don't know if you caught that or not. I I no, I did not catch that part of it. And the interesting thing was like the, you know, David and Jeff are like, and even the magic players are lauding Haslam's career achievements. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Mosley, like hugging the living shit out of Haslam twice. Um, like I get the respect portion, but like you can do that after the game, even. Um, you don't have to do it right then and there. Like you want to give him like a golf clap, cap, a uh, golf clap, and like a handshake. Like, fine, but you know, I I don't care for that. And look, it's it's a different era. It's a different league where these guys. I mean, Mosley was an assistant coach forever, and Udonis Haslam is basically an assistant coach. So it's like there's a camaraderie with that. Um, it's we'll see. I mean, it's something for hopefully a guy like Paolo and or Franz to strive for where it's like, you know, look how great of a respect and ovation, even a guy like Udonis Haslam got who, yeah, he played a part in those championship teams for the heat. Um, but even when he wasn't irrelevant or when he wasn't really relevant, like the last five plus years of his career, even longer, really um, because he was with that heat team for two decades. Like it's, it's immense respect. And that's something that we want. And I mean, Nick Anderson is our longest tenured magic player and it really shouldn't take that much of an effort for someone to dethrone him. 
because he played 10 seasons here. Like somebody can easily top that. And hopefully one of these young guys does it. But um, yeah, I mean, we finished one and three against Miami this season. Magic finished 34 and 48. We tanked our last three games and got important lottery losses in all of them. Um, we finished 20 and 21 at home, 14 and 27 on the road this season, 20 and 31 against the East, um, seven and nine against the Southeast division. So we actually fared pretty well at, against the West. So what we did, we were 14 and 17 against the West. That's pretty good. Um, the best thing about today is the Pacers won in Madison Square Garden today. They beat the Knicks and the broke the, they broke the tie that we had with Indy, and that's why we have sole possession of the sixth worst record in the NBA. Which now, because Portland is getting slaughtered by uh, Golden State as we speak, like actually did that game end? What was the final? It was a one fifty seven to one hundred one loss. Golden State won at Portland. I think Golden State broke a NBA record where they scored 51, 55 points in the first quarter. So. Um, the Blazers are going to end up with the fifth worst record in the NBA. That's fine because they are in a much worse position than we are as a franchise. Um, but yeah, we're, we have the sixth worst odd, uh, or with six worst record in the NBA or the six best lottery odds. Now that's a 9% chance at the number one pick now and 37.2% odds of jumping into the top four since the current lottery format began in 2019. The team with the sixth best lottery odds has never moved up in the draft lottery. That's fascinating, right? And since 2019, we have not had the team with the sixth best lottery odds moving up. I don't know. That, that That's surprising, right? Well, this is not how um, random one-off draws work, no. obviously. But it sounds like it's time that it happens this summer. Yeah, and curiously... The team with the seventh best lottery odds, which is now Indiana, because they uh oh actually it's a tie between Indiana and, and the Wizards now. They're gonna have to do like a coin flip, I think, to determine who has slightly better odds. But um, you know, the team with the seventh best lottery odds, though, since this current lottery format began in 2019, each of the four years, the seventh team has moved up in the lottery. 2019, the Pelicans went from seventh up to first, which they drafted Zion. 2020, the Bulls went from seventh up to fourth. I think that was the Patrick Williams draft, I think. The Raptors in 2021 went from seventh to fourth. Obviously, Magic fans remember that because they jumped us. They got Scotty Barnes. We then got Suggs fifth, but we got Franz at eighth. And then last year, 2022, the Kings went from seventh to fourth, and they got Keegan Murray, who he's going to be pretty good for them. So it's a bizarre trend, though. I mean, like you say <laughs> – from a draft lottery odd perspective, like these type of trends usually shouldn't really exist. So maybe it's finally due that the seventh pick doesn't move up, but I don't care if Indiana moves up as long as we move up ahead of them. That's, that's my viewpoint. Um, we'll see, you know, I, I won't worry about lottery this episode from beyond this, because we still need to see what happens with that Chicago pick. You know, it's top four protected. They may or may not be in the lottery because they play at Toronto now in the 9-10 playing matchup. If the Bulls win, then they have to then play at the loser of Miami Atlanta to get into the playoffs as the eighth seed where the Bucks would beat them either way if they got in. But um I don't know. There's there's a difference between picking, I don't know, 12th and then picking 15th. Cause 
Um, from a draft lottery perspective, like I don't want to get into drafting stuff, but I really like Taylor Hendricks from UCF. He's the type of guy I would pick at 12 should the Magic keep that pick. But, you know, at 12, 12, 13th, and 14th in the lottery have never moved up in this format. The highest or the worst uh, lottery odds that have ever moved up was actually the Lakers in 2019 when they went from 11th to 4th. Um, beyond that, that's that that's the worst odds that have ever moved up. So um, we'll see how that plays out. I don't know. Any, any lottery thoughts, Benny? Well, we'll we'll get there when we get there, but I would just say I I don't see the Bulls winning two consecutive playing games to make it to become the eighth seed. Do you? No, I think they'll actually win in Toronto. Um, I think I think the Bulls are. I mean, the Bulls are playing noticeably better, and I think they're they have more talent than Toronto. Now the Raptors, I don't know how how ramped up their fans are going to be for this playing game. They probably will be pretty ramped up, but. They got the better coach in Nick Nurse, um, but Chicago's got the better team and roster. So I would still give the say the Bulls win that game. But then I think Miami's going to beat Atlanta in the seven versus eight. So they'll be the seventh seed. And then I think Atlanta, I mean, you'd have Chicago, Atlanta in Atlanta. I think the Hawks, I think Quinn Snyder is going to do enough to figure it out and beat them. But um, one way or another, like there's. <laughs> You know, you're going to have turmoil between like Chicago and Atlanta, two teams that going in, a lot of people thought both would be in the playoffs. And one of those teams probably won't make it in, I would say. But I don't know. Is that your viewpoint? You think it's going to play out differently? Yeah, I think uh, there's something off about the Raptors and and Nick Nurse kind of plotting his escape. It's the, the fact of the matter is even despite the Patrick Beverly infusion, like the Bulls have just been so inconsistent all year that to put together two must-win performances in a row, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. All right. You ready to look back at our season predictions that we gave at the start oh of boy. the year? Okay. Let's so do we're it. going back to October. Um, we did this right after the preseason ended and, you know, before the regular season started. So, uh, the first question was, will Paolo Bancaro win Rookie of the Year? Now, we don't know officially if Paolo won it, but I'm willing to put a 99% chance that he's going to win Rookie of the Year. It won't be unanimous, unfortunately, just based off of what I've seen and heard through podcasts and through the grapevine that there's some pure analytical folks who will pick Walker Kessler as their Rookie of the Year, who I think you're going to vote for this year he can't pick austin reeves this year so um i think i bet you he picks jalen williams i bet you he does um that i i I, i'm again i don't have my twitter right now still so you're gonna have to help me with that um i mean i'll pull up the official nba like communication and see the vote but um some pure analytical folks are going to pick walker kessler to win rookie of the year i think he should finish second and then some folks are going to pick jalen williams even though he's averaging six points per game less than Paolo, like some people are going to pick Jalen Williams because they don't like being told that Paolo should be unanimous. Like Zach Lowe, who I love, Zach Lowe, um, you know, he's one of my biggest followers that I have on my Twitter account that I don't have control over anymore. So hopefully he hasn't been opening any spam that that hacker's been sending him. But um, look, he, he, I think he's going to end up picking voting for Paolo, but I, there's like an efficiency argument made for Jalen Williams, which I just don't think outweighs what Paolo's done. Um, we talked about it. I mean, Paolo 
is the number one scoring option on our team. He averaged 20 points per game this season. He averaged like 20, was it 26 and three, I think this season or 25 and three where only like Luca, Blake Griffin, Michael Jordan, Walter Davis. And I think I'm missing one other big rookie average those in their rookie seasons. Like it's, it's a very small elite list of rookie campaigns. Like LeBron didn't do it. Kevin Durant didn't do it. Um, like from an efficiency perspective, Paolo had a better year than Kevin Durant shooting wise. Uh, he had, I think he had a better shooting day in the year than LeBron even. I haven't compared the two, but, um, and then on the Ryan Rosillo pod, like Paolo admitted that a big reason why he shot one of 33 on threes was he had like this neck, basically the stinger from his like neck going down to his arm that messed up his shot. And looking, if you look back at the footage, like you can see, like, He's not, he wasn't following through like he normally followed through. And like, there's, there's evidence there that suggests that definitely there was an injury and, but he played through it and, you know, he, he quickly, quickly recovered in March and even, you know, all the way up till when we were eliminated and we sat him out these last few games, like Paolo should be unanimous. He's not going to be unanimous, but I think he'll get like 75, 75% of the first place votes, which is way too low, but it's conv- it's a very convincing campaign. Um, yeah. but I mean, Penny- there's, there's yeah, yeah, there's there's no reason to try and further mount evidence. But the I will say, and we've talked about this too. Like histor- if you're talking historically, even about the Rookie of the Year award, uh, efficiency is never really taken into consideration. It's primarily no. uh, highest point per game total uh, equates to most impactful uh, rookie um historically and obviously things are changing but uh despite that you it should it should it should be unanimous suited there's really no uh there's really no cogent argument here to to you know obviously other other rookies performed well um and that's why they should get slotted in at second and third on the ballot and like you can't even really make the winning argument because, like, the Magic won 34 games. It's a 12-game improvement, which is massive. Um, and then OKC, they just won today, I think. So they've won 40 games. So that's only six more games than us. They're going to get probably knocked out from the play-in. You know, they probably won't make the playoffs. You know, they'll get knocked out in this play-in. And then Utah only won 37 games. They finished 12th in the West. So you can't even make a Walker Kessler winning argument. But yeah. I don't know. Would you Would you go Paolo one? Uh, Kessler two, Williams three, or would you switch it up? That's no, that's how I would go. Um, I think, and the biggest thing that Walker Kessler has going for now, obviously, he had a great rookie season. Um, but the biggest thing that he has going for him is that he was involved in the Rudy Gobert trade, right? Like, I mean, that that boosts his stock and reputation just without him even doing anything on his own accord. Well, that and like from a magic perspective, like if I had a vote as like an Orlando voter, I'm looking at Walker Kessler and I'm like, he's the reason why Utah beat us both games, right? Like, but he had massive block games or games where he like was a huge problem at the rim where you could see like guys like Paolo, Foltz, Wendell, like they're not scared of going at the rim. And few guys were as great defending the rim as Kessler was. And he was a huge reason why even late in those games, they eke those games out. Like it wasn't even so much Lori marketing necessarily like Walker Kessler was the reason why the magic lost those two games where had we won those two games, we probably, we might've gotten into the plan, but um, yeah, I mean, but looking back at our predictions, I, 
I actually said Paolo wasn't going to win rookie of the year. I said Keegan Murray was. So I got that wrong. Penny, you said Paolo would actually win. You almost talked yourself out of it, but you said Paolo would win. So pat yourself on the back on that. I'm um, shocked that you didn't. I I just thought initially out of the gate, we were going to more kind of ease Paolo in because I thought it'd be more about like Franz and Wendell. And yeah. it didn't really play out like that. Like Paolo out of the gate, like. From the moment he dunked on Corey Joseph in Detroit, it was like, oh, shit. Okay. So, um, all right. Next prediction that we had. Over under 0.5 All-Stars uh, this season. You wisely said no. I said yes. I said Wendell would be our All-Star. And I did say that points per game were going to be the issue with them, which it ended up being because, you know, Paolo ended up being our most likely candidate for sneaking into the east uh or as you know as an east all-star i think you can agree with that because he finished top 10 in east forward all-star votes so yep. i mean that's progress from a team perspective and then for paolo from a respect perspective um franz was more efficient but um paolo again was like the number one guy that teams were peeing in on and if the magic record was a little bit better he paolo might have been snuck in there he might have snuck in there but um, it's looking pretty good for next season though. I guess we'll see, but all right. Uh, next prediction question. So who was going to lead the magic in points per game scoring? Penny, you wisely said Paolo and you said he would quote unquote push 20 points per game. So, um, you, uh, you were really good with this one. I said, Franz, Franz finished second, which isn't bad. He, he, I think he, because some of these game last couple games he played he didn't play that much i think his average is down to like 18.7 or 18.6 but um we have our one two scoring punch at the moment uh at 21 and 20 years old moving forward like that's pretty good um i don't know any thoughts on the point per game stuff like were you surprised i guess maybe that franz was that close or did you or what did you i mean did you end up seeing it playing out the way it played out when you predicted this um, I, I think part of the problem or part of the issue too, was the, obviously the beginning of the season where we basically had no point guard for, yeah. you know, for the first part too. Yeah. Um, so that threw a, a monkey wrench into it and also kind of once, once things settled down and everyone's roles were defined, um, I think you're, you're looking at the future now, right? Like, I mean, that's, uh, uh, the, the future is incredibly bright and, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be kind of the baseline moving forward now. Uh, let's see. Mm, I'm looking at stuff here. Uh, team MVP. So we uh we were gonna pre- we predicted who was gonna be the team MVP. Now last season, it ended up becoming Wendell Carter Jr. So going into this prediction, um, I had that in the back of my head, but I ended up saying it was gonna be Markel Fultz. Penny, you said it was going to be Franz. So who do we actually think was our MVP? Now, I'm going to guess that you're going to say Paolo because I it's probably between Paolo and Markel, but or with Markel being you, like the yeah. likely runner up, but I I would give you uh I would give you the win on the prediction if we're talking strictly 5 and 20 start and then rest Fultz, of the season yeah. which coincides mostly kind of with Fultz coming back and then getting up to speed so I would give you the win there um I do think that Paolo is uh right up there with with team MVP and then just real quickly and interestingly to me 
If you had to grade Wendell Carter's season this year, what grade would you give it? Oh man, I I really factor in the plantar fasciitis thing, man. Like I really do because I think if he what wasn't dealing with that throughout the entire season, like he probably he probably would average like at least two points per game more. Um, I'm gonna just give him a solid B because. Other than when we had that six game winning streak without him, like when he wasn't on the floor, we were not good. Um, and maybe, I mean, heck, if we win the number one draft pick that and we end up drafting Victor Wimbanyama, like I could see a situation where the magic go, Wendell, we love you, man, but can you be our like sixth or seventh man off the bench? Can you be our Horace Grant, basically? And I could see a situation where he's he does that. Otherwise, we have an interesting problem upon our hands. But the guy's good. But against massive mammoth big men, I mean, he's what six nine, six ten is Wendell playing center. And most nights that's okay. But against some of these competitors, against trying, you know, against some of these teams when you, who are trying to win a title, like all if not most have big big centers. And Wendell just. It especially with the plantar fasciitis this year, it, it it was tough for him to handle that. Um, for the most part, there would be games here and there where he was amazing, but um, see, I'd look. agree with you. And to me, I go like a B is fair, and I I wouldn't say that he did any. And obviously, dealing with injury, as you noted, I wouldn't say he did anything like remarkable that shows growth this year. But just okay, and the three point percentage consistency. Last year, yeah, last year yeah. to this year. You played exactly the same 29.9 minutes per game. Oh, Field wow. goal percentage is up. Three-point percentage and volume up. Mm. Uh, effective field goal percentage up. Free throw percentage up. Points per game up. Rebounding dips a little bit. That's, you know, now you got other forwards that are gobbling up rebounds. Like, yeah, it's still a very efficient, a very efficient season. Um, certainly not MVP level for the team, mm. um, but... It's interesting to me because I would I would call the year unremarkable for him overall, but I think he's still a key cog moving forward. Yeah, look, I, I'm, like I said, unless for some reason like Embiid's like, hey, I want to be traded to Orlando or like the Magic end up getting the number one pick and draft Wimbenyama, like Wendell's the guy. Like, And he's on a, a great contract that because it seems like Weltham historically don't like paying, you know, pay, putting a lot of salary in their big men, like – Wendell makes a respectable amount of money enough to where they're not in a hurry to move him or for anything. And I think he had a B level season, which is more than fine considering again, the injuries considering like there's, there's flaws there when it comes to going up against like big men or elite big men, but that's okay, man. Like, um, and then we'll see in the off season, like you mentioned, like how much he improved shooting wise and all that. And he still sets grid screens for us. Like he knows how to get to the rim and I like his leadership. He's one of our leaders on this team and he won the community ambassador award too, which I take, I factored in that in as well um, from a player perspective. So um, I know any other window thoughts. Oh, MVP. So do you think it's Paolo that won it? Cause I, I I'm going to say Paolo eked out Fultz to be our MVP this season. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a lenient grader, so I would say Paolo won it, but I would give you a point for a preseason prediction because Markel clearly had a huge impact on the team. Yeah, I mean Fultz solidified his future with us because this season we could have this offseason we could have waived him. And there's we'd be crazy to do that now. And I think Markel 
is our long-term point guard. Like, even if the Magic end up at the number two pick, like, I don't know if we take Scoot Henderson because I I, I see so many flaws with Scoot. I'm looking at Markel, who's this big 6'4 point guard, who's getting better physically and getting better shooting-wise that, you know, Scoot Henderson's, what, 6'1"? And, I mean, look, he's strong. Like, he can he can bounce. He can jump. But, like, he's got shooting flaws as well. And I just don't see the court vision with Scoot like I do with Markel. But, um, yeah, I, I'll take the point on that. Um, all right, over under 27 and a half wins. So, we smashed the betting lines on this one. Like, we both said hard over. Your prediction, Penny, was 32 and 50. Um, I said 34 and 48. Hey, I said, oh. I said we'd finish 11th or 12th in the East with that record. So I got that part wrong. We ended up finished in 13th, but I got 34 and 48 exactly right. And this is definitely the first time I've ever gotten <laughs> this good with a season prediction. Now it took some back end tanking for us to get there. Cause we were going to shoot over that for a little bit there. But, um, I mean, look, it was looking grim at five and 20 and, I said it early on in the season. Like Mosley needed to get the 30 plus wins in my eyes to be fully safe this offseason. Like he did it. Like it's a 12 win improvement. Like he's getting better as a coach. Like the staff is getting better. Like we still make a lot of mistakes here and there. Like there's still a lot of improvement. Same thing with the roster. Um, but we we got the 34 wins. And I don't know. Like I I didn't put it in our in our notes or anything, but like what do you think FanDuel, without knowing what's going to happen in the offseason, like what do you think the Vegas betting line is going to be? What's the over-under going to be for us going into the offseason for next season? Like I think it's going to be like 39 and a half. No, come on. You're in my head. That's exactly where I was. 39 and a half. Because Vegas is going to be like, okay, you either think yeah. the Magic are a, play in, a playoff team or yep. you think that this was too high of like an improvement and that they're not going to, you know, they might sneak into the play-in at best. And all, in, all just in, incredibly early with no knowledge of change to roster or anything. Do you see, and, and we don't know health, right? But right. even if, with health, I don't see regression coming next year, regardless of any other factor. My, I believe the win total will be more than it is this year. If you had to put money on it, would you say the same? Yeah. And I'm definitely going to put money yeah. on it. Like when we're <laughs> in, like when we're in Tennessee for that, uh, for that wedding weekend that we're going to, um, I don't, I think, I think it's literally the season starts like a few days after that. I could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it's before that, but, um, cause we can't legally bet here in Florida, but, um, or maybe I'll put in a, I'll probably put in a bet. No, I'll put in a bet at some point in September when I go out to like, uh, out to the Northwest or whatever, but, um, or Midwest, but anyway, uh, fan, like the betting line would have to be like 40 one and a half for me to think about it. Like, I think we're going to be over 500 next year. Like, I don't know where we, you'd have to look at the Twitter account, uh, NBA man games lost or whatever. I, I forgot what it's called. Man games lost. I think Miami ended up taking the crown this year. Finally, like we were leading it for three years where we led the league in most games lost due to COVID or injury. And finally, like Miami basically like, right after the all-star break, I think took the crown from us where we finally weren't the most injured team this season. And so if we even show even like medium levels of health, like there's no way we're starting anywhere as bad as five and 20 because we should have point guards and whatever. Um, Like I, I expect us to be over 500 next season. I expect us to be a playoff team. 
without knowing what's going to happen move wise. And that's the fun part because a lot can happen. And we're not going to know till at least after the lottery and at least after the draft going into free agency and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would safely put money on us, even if that over under was at 41 and a half, like I would put the over, I don't know where you're at. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, if I had to put a number on it right now, I think 40 to 42, I'd, I'd say 41, 41 wins next year. I'm going, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you now, like it's going to, I'm going above that, but I, yeah, I think from a betting line perspective, like it's, they're probably going to put it right at 39 and a half and they're just going to yep. be like dare folks. Like, come on, let's go. So, <laughs> and every magic fan is going to punch the over just like they did this, this, uh, this past fall, they're going to hit the over and, you know, hopefully, hopefully some fans made some good money off that bet. Um, but anyway, um, I'm going to take my victory lap on saying Miami, Toronto, and Atlanta were all overrated because all of them were all overrated. Miami finished seventh, Atlanta finished eighth, and Toronto finished ninth, and they're all in the play-in. And minimum, one of them ain't going to make it in to the playoffs. So they're all in uncertain territory, honestly, going forward. Penny, you said that the Wizards and Charlotte would not make the play-in, so that worked out for you. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts from those predictions or any of that? Um, a huge uh, uh, win for you to call all of the uh, turmoil in Atlanta this year. I think that's the we, biggest. We combined. Yeah. We combined said the Southeast Division was right. full of shit, and it was yeah. basically. So that's that's basically the takeaway there. Yeah. Um, but that's the end of our predictions review. So um, we did pretty good on that. Um, I don't know what, just off the top of our heads right now, I guess, um, what was your biggest good surprise of the season? I mean, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a player, I guess, but, um, I, from a biggest good surprise or biggest best surprise, I mean, it was almost bowl bowl and then it wasn't, but, uh, <laughs> you, you could easily go with Cole Anthony becoming, uh, a legitimate six man of the year candidate. But I'll say Jalen Suggs because I shit on Jalen Suggs so much that I owe him this at least. Um, that kid, I don't know if he's going to start at shooting guard next season because it depends on what we do in the offseason. But he easily could have started towards the end of this season. And Mosley just kind of didn't want to rock the boat, which is fair. But, I mean, he started a lot of games here at the end, whether we were tanking or not. Or he ended up finishing games towards the end because he was playing more consistently and better than Gary. But, I mean, he plays like a cornerback or a free actually he plays like a free safety defensively, which yeah. is amazing because he makes awesome instinctual defensive plays. Like it's not like the Terrence Ross. Oh, I'm going to risk for a steal or get blown by like Suggs will go for a steal and more likely than not, he's at minimum going to get his hand on the ball. And even if he does like mistime something like he's good enough to run back and make up for it. And offensively that shot's looking good. Like I'm not going to go over percentages right now but i know that three-point shot looks good right now and he's starting to live up to that number five pick billing and the biggest thing with him i mean the biggest thing with all of our guys is we made it in the offseason everybody's healthy except for jonathan isaac and isaac could be healthy now because he's been on the bench even like towards the end of the season and so jalen suggs is going to have his first healthy offseason and you know, it's up to these guys to make up to just make the best the most of it. 
because some of these guys are going to, you know, Franz, Mo, maybe Paolo, uh, Goga, if he's still on our team, Bobo, if he's still on our team, like these guys have FIBA world cup duties coming up in, in the summer. And so they're going to have two full months at least to work on their, to rest up, to work on their games and improve, which is plenty of time to do that considering how much red regimented it all is. And, how focused they all are, but yeah, I mean, Jalen Suggs was just amazing uh, towards the, uh, for, for, for him, you know, for, by his standard, by what we expected from him was just awesome to, to close out the season. And he has a full off season now healthy to get even better. Now I don't view him as a point guard. He's a combo guard, two guard type guy, which is fine. Um, I don't know. What's your biggest good surprise, Benny? Um, yeah, that's a good choice. I, I think uh, the correct answer here for the current construction of the team is that Cole Anthony uh, found the the sixth man role and found the success there uh, and then embraced the role. But my, my cop-out answer here to give you something different mm-hmm. um, is I'm going to say Paolo Bancaro, right? Because mm, yeah. the, the, the biggest surprise because you don't know until you know, is that he's a he's a number one guy. He's not going to be a 1A guy. He's not going to be a number two. Like, you're, you're looking at Tatum level yeah. in the future. Um, so that's, uh, I, to me, I think it still classifies as, a, as the biggest surprise because you just can't, you can't say for certain until you, you see it. Um, so that's been, I think, the biggest pleasant surprise. And then to to your point, so I'm going to say specifically for Markel Fultz, but also everybody else on the roster for the entirety of the summer, every time they're not working in the facility or on the court somewhere, I think they need to invest uh, in the comically oversized novelty mall kiosk slippers and just wear those on their feet everywhere they go <laughs> so as to stub no toes um obviously no one needs to handle any glass vases or anything a la Jalen Brown like the the health of the roster over the summer to take advantage of the time to improve uh work on the individual skills and then come back next season and be our our biggest surprise for 23-24 it's gonna be interesting because this is the first offseason that they're gonna have the training facility to work out of and so it'll be interesting to see like how often they're actually here, how many, how often and how many times are guys going to be together working out, you know, around be it here, around the country, whatnot. Um, how many guys are going to end up visiting some of the FIBA guys like they, like, uh, with Eurobasket, like Cole and Suggs went to, uh, that Adidas event in Germany and they ended up visiting the Wagner brothers. Um, you know, this one's further because the FIBA World Cup's in like mostly the Philippines and then Indonesia and like Japan. Um, I, so that's a much longer trip, but it, it's uh, it's going to be cool to see kind of how often these guys are together um, and to see what the ma- if the magic training facility plays a huge role in it because I'm willing to bet it will. But all right, biggest disappointment. Um, Mo Bamba does qualify for this. <laughs> So does Terrence Ross, even though they got traded. Uh, they they were around long enough. Um, or Ross was waived anyway. But yeah, Bamba qualifies. Um, let's see. Yeah. Bo could technically be an option here as well. That's the funny part. Like he could be both a surprise and a disappointment. 
I'm putting Chuma OKK. Um, Chuma had an okay game today against Miami, but like he can't stay healthy. It's I'm glad he's healthy going into the offseason because again, he he just as much as Suggs needs to just find a way to stay healthy and just be healthy throughout the summer, through training camp, through the preseason, because he hasn't been able to do that. And you can see it's just athletically it's hurting him when he's not the most athletic guy in the world to begin with. And his shot's not there. His timing's not there. Just all that confidence that he had in his rookie campaign is kind of just out the window. And he's lucky he's the one that had his his uh, his option picked up and not R.J. Hampton. Like, I'll, I'll leave it at that because he could have been in R.J. Hampton shoes if it played out differently. And so he could easily be waived. Um, you know, the Magic could take the salary cap hit and if they, they want to get rid of him and they can't trade him, like they could waive him and be and just take the roster spot. But um, I'm just going Chuma because it doesn't look like there's much of a future for him at the moment unless he can somehow prove everybody wrong. I think that's a very fair answer. I'm going to partially abstain because I, I think on the whole, the year went just about as great as it could have gone. The the biggest disappointment for me, my answer is going to be the return at the trade deadline. Um, and I yeah. think specifically looking at like, because it's fresh in our mind right now, like we easily could have acquired Luke Kennard. Uh, and you see the impact in terms of like him basically single-handedly uh, swinging the Grizzlies, the important Grizzlies game um, mm-hmm. against us down the stretch. So like as a fan, it's disappointing that we could have made a, a small little move to kind of fortify our play in chase. Um, obviously long-term that's not the best uh, case scenario for the franchise. Um, but just in terms of like the excitement of the season and, and having um, the, you know, something to look forward to and to be in the in the chase all the way through like that. That's probably the biggest disappointment is that we couldn't quite make it and knowing that it's for the best that we didn't make it. Yeah, especially if we move up in the draft lottery. Right. But um, look, with with Wellham, like I criticized them on, on some of this trade deadline stuff, because like with Fournier, we didn't really get anything. Um, I know we got bull technically yet, but like, we really didn't get, well, that was a separate trade, honestly, but yeah, with Fournier, we didn't get much, if anything. Um, Ross, we literally got nothing because we ended up waving him. Bamba, we got a second round pick, like a heavily protected second round pick, uh, cash and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Patrick Beverly, who we waved, who then helped Chicago get into the play-in. Um, I'm not a big Luke Kennard guy, but that's a good point. Like, you know, I'm not a big Luke Kennard guy, but the guy can hit threes clearly. So um, we could have definitely used him to to hit some trays. But, yeah, I, it's it's a fair point on the disappointment. But, look, overall, you know, kind of like with Suggs, like I give Weldham a lot of crap because I do see them making mistakes. But overall, they're in the positive because we have Paolo, Franz, we have these picks, we have uh, good progress, good momentum. But if it goes bad, we can really look at some of the small stuff and realize, oh, this was a bigger deal than maybe we should have as a whole, as a fan base should have looked at. But that's why, you know. That's why people either love me or hate me when it comes to this stuff because it's I get nitpicky. But all right, let's look at the NBA as a whole. So the Magic aren't 
participating in the play in. We're not in the playoffs, so we can kind of just relax and, you know, brace for our NBA draft lottery uh future in the next month. Uh so until then, who's your uh who's your NBA MVP, Penny? Because I think who should win is actually Giannis Adetokounmpo, and there's some Greek bias to that, but he's had a really awesome year. I mean, it's between Yanni Embiid and Jokic, and you know, there's Jokic fatigue where people don't want to give him that third MVP. Um, but at the same time, like Embiid just won his second straight scoring title, which I think it's the first time a center has won the scoring title in consecutive seasons since Bob McAdoo in the seventies. I think it is. So, um, that was a hell of a stat to find out. And then with Yanni, it's like, even though he's played, people make up kind of the minutes, you know, the minute discussion where it's like, well, Giannis Adetokounmpo has played like 200 minutes fewer than Jokic and, and Embiid. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's a good amount of games, but he still had a really awesome year, and the Bucs are the best team in the league. But for people maybe that that can that say like, well, the Bucs have a better team, I guess, than Philly and and Denver. Yeah, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to fret over it. Um, but my MVP would be Giannis Adetokounmpo, and it'll be funny because – with the MVP voting, second place votes are almost as important as first place votes with how yeah. this is going to play out. I think who's going to win is Joel Embiid. Embiid's going to win, and they've done enough. Like, well, Embiid's done enough from just a scoring perspective. You know, over thirty three points per game again, second scoring title in a row. Um, and that Philly team's not great, and he's dragging them and to the third seed in the East. And he's done enough. I th- I think he'll win it. What's your MVP thoughts, Penny? Yeah, I mean, I I would go Jokic for should win. I don't think, and I say that, and in the context, I don't think he should <laughs> three three in a row, right? But but just in terms of numbers and performance, I I would go Jokic. I do. I agree with you that uh, it will be MP Embiid this year. And I think that you're going to look at the finish and it'll be Embiid, Giannis, and then uh, Jokic, one, two, three, in terms of the outcome, which I, again, is Giannis also very deserving, but I think, again, narrative and storyline-wise, like, I think it's fair that Embiid gets one, I guess, right? The one thing that pisses me off is Daryl Morey's going to get rewarded for being a whiny bitch. And, um, yeah, but (laughs) on the bright side... We can say that we were courtside watching Embiid and his MVP season. There you That's go. That's the plus side. So, because yeah. um, we got to see him in Philly. So, all right. What's your NBA finals prediction? The West is like a mess, but from an East I'm perspective. Gonna get, yeah. I'm going to get wacky with you a little bit. I don't know if I believe this, but this is what I'm going to put on the record. <laughs> okay. um, and I say this because I don't trust the health of Chris Middleton. So, right. from the East, I'm going to go Celtics. I, I mean, obviously, it's a, to me, it's a two-horse race. I think it's Celtics or Bucks. I don't think there, there's enough flaws in the Sixers, and there's enough kind of like, is it Harden? Is it Embiid? Are they just going to give it to Embiid at the elbow in the fourth quarter, and then is he going to take a fall away and miss it? Like, So mm-hmm. I, I have the Celtics coming out of the East, and I'm going to throw you a monkey wrench. I'm going Nuggets. I'm going to go Nuggets and Celtics right. in the finals. Yeah. It's interesting because even though Denver's the number one seed in the West, like no one's really picking Denver to get to the finals. Like, 
So that is actually kind of a monkey wrench. So wait, do you have Celtics over Denver? I have Celtics over over Denver. I think uh, like a six game NBA final that's a little unremarkable. Um, but I yeah, I have Celtics over Denver. I'm taking. I have the Bucks coming out of the East. Uh, I just think even if Middleton just isn't fully there, I think guys like Joe Ingles are going to play such a huge role uh, in the playoffs. I think that I, dude, I tweeted this out, man, when it happened. I'm like. This Joe Ingle signing is going to be like the most underrated signing this this season, and it might end up playing out that way uh, if the Bucks win it all. But um, yeah, I think, and it's funny because under like the new CBA rules that come out and that, that are going to take effect next season, and we won't talk about CBA stuff in this pod. But like they wouldn't have been able to get jo- Joe Ingles. So, um, but I have the Bucks making it out. I just think. From a storyline perspective, too, I kind of selfishly want like Boston to get knocked out in like the first round and Jalen Brown to be like, I want to be traded Orlando and just go <laughs> from there. Um, which could happen. Uh, but I have the Bucks coming out of the East. It's everyone's most people are picking the Bucks, so it's probably the safest pick theoretically. And I just I'm not gonna bet against Giannis Adetokounmpo. I just can't do that. So um the West, I I thought about the Kings, man. I thought about <laughs> Sacramento, man. I'm just like, man, Mike Brown's going to fuck this up somehow. I just, it's that. And like the Kings, they depend on pace so much. And it's like, I know they they say they're adamant on playing fast no matter what, but like the playoffs is like a different beast. And then like, because the officiating and the refs suck, like it's going to slow down one way or another, whether they like it or not. I, I don't trust Denver because, like, I don't think Jamal Murray's fully there. Like, I don't trust, like, Porter or Aaron Gordon in, like, a huge high-stakes situation. I've seen enough of Jokic in clutch situations where I just see him just not being able to get a team over the hump um, fully. And I hate hate myself for doing this, but I have the Lakers coming out of the West. And... It's funny because they may not even make the playoffs. They may not make it out of the play-in, right? Uh, Because I think they're a play-in team now based off of what's happened today. I I haven't checked, but um, I just think they're going to find a way. I thought about the Warriors and the Suns, but I just think like if the Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis healthy, and and those are big Fs. Those are gigantic Fs, but some of those moves they made at the trade deadline, around the trade deadline, are really paying off for them. And maybe I shouldn't put this much faith in Darvin Ham, but I, I have the Lakers coming out of the West, and I have the Bucks beating the Lakers in the finals. I don't know. Am Oof. I crazy? Uh, Lakers currently slotted in to be the seven right now, so they would get either Denver or Memphis in the first round. If they get out of the plan. Right. Um. Okay. Golly. So you have Mo Bamba playing a, a minute in the finals? Oh, God. I feel dirty for thinking about that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I do, which would be, I mean, that's a Mo Bamba revenge situation of anything. Like, I'm going to probably get DM'd from him and be like, how about this? So, but uh, yeah, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, man. I hope it's like bucks over, like, I don't know. I don't want Terrence Ross making it to the finals. Fuck that. Um, oh, I hope it's, you, I hope ju- it's, you just lost a bunch of subscribers. Uh, whatever. Uh, I, okay. I was right about Terrence Ross. So, yeah. Whether people give me credit for that or not, which they don't, because they everybody just gives me crap for Franz Wagner stuff or Sug stuff, but um, that's fine. 
That's okay. I'll I am looking forward to the playoffs, though. I'll say that. I think yeah, it's, been man. A great, it's been a great NBA season overall. I'm hoping that the playoffs continue uh, in the same fashion. Yeah, I look, the regular season has been weird because too many people have sat out games and too many games have been irrelevant. And I hate how this new tournament next season's going to play out because it was completely different from what I wanted. And the league will re just refuse us to cut down from 82 games. Like it should be like a 66 or like a 70 game season. And the league just refuses to do that. So this is still going to be a problem and it's going to dilute the product, but it hasn't happened yet. And more and more money's going into the league. So maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think it's hurting the product, but the playoffs are great. Cause it's all random. Cause so many teams have like injury stuff going on and there's just like so many questions up in the air. So, but anyway, we'll we'll talk about Magic Draft Lottery stuff and off-season stuff uh, next pod episode. But that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, if you're still listening, we thank you very much for your time. Uh, subscriptions, high ratings, positive comments, just all help this podcast ranking immensely. Tweet us any of your questions and feedback. Penny, what's your Twitter handle? At Spencer Strode. No C's, just S's. Uh, I don't have a Twitter account right now, so I'm not going to give mine uh, because the hacker has control of mine. I don't know if I'm going to get it back. Either uh, either I'm going to get it back or I'm going to be off Twitter. So I'll leave it at that. But take care. Let's go magic.